You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Well, this is part four of this little series we've been going through on the I Love Charity. And, and last week I had to watch on my way back from vacation. So um, I know there's probably a lot of people that think when preachers get up here and they tell a story, we embellish those stories and we just do it for sake of a good laugh or whatever. But I just want to say to all of you how much I appreciate Tom um, confirming to you that when I say he can't sing, I am telling the truth. Can I get an amen to that? And all God's people said amen to that, brother. <laughs> so, anyway, so thanks for being here today. <clears throat> Glad to be back from vacation. We uh, had a good time down in Florida. Uh, all of us in one house together. And as the stomach bug just made its way through everybody. It was great. We, some of us got it while we were there, and some of them got it when they were home. So anyway, we're back to Among the Living, and we're glad to be here today. I, I had a message planned for this for today. Amen, brother. And, um, and I had a message planned for today, and when I was kind of digging in on Wednesday, it was like, um, man, I just don't feel like that's the message that, that I need to preach um, today. And, and I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. But you know what happened on Thursday of this week, the queen died, and probably if you've seen the news, you, you knew that. Um, and it really, it's, it's amazing to me that when anything happens in the royal family, how much the world tunes in. And maybe you don't, but, but the majority of people do. That mo- most people are intrigued by it. As a matter of fact, right now, they've, they've just said that her body has arrived at its next um, destination, left where she had passed away. And and, and so everybody's just kind of tuning in. People were laying on the street waiting to just kind of pay their respects to the queen. And, and this, was a, this was a wonderful lady. Um, as a matter of fact, on 9-11, two days after 9-11, as a matter of fact, she broke protocol. And at, um, at where was it? At the uh, Buckingham Palace. At Buckingham Palace, she had them play the Star Spangled Banner. First time it had ever been done in history. Never been done again since. But that's how much... She was just very special, Queen Elizabeth was. And, um, and, and they, they believe that probably well over a billion people worldwide will watch her funeral, either, li- either live or, um, or later on. But this is not the first time that royalty has been in the spotlight and that people were intrigued by it. Many of you, if you were alive and paid attention in 1981, when this couple got married, Prince Charles and Princess Diana. This was one of those moments that all, all of the world, if they had a way to see it, they just wanted to see a picture of a princess getting married. And I remember it. I remember it vividly. I was young. I was 11 years old, but I thought she was just beautiful to look at. And, uh, and they, they estimated about a billion people watched her wedding, watched their wedding um, during that time. And little girls would look and they would see the wedding dress that she had on. And if you look back at pictures... The train of her gown would almost stretch the back door in here. It was just magnificent. It was just something to see. And then later on, just a few years ago in 2011, um, this couple got married, Kate and William. They got married, and, and they said that this was just right behind what Prince Charles and Princess Diana's wedding viewership would have been. So many people are just intrigued by royalty. And what we're going to talk about today um, is kind of weird how it happened because on Wednesday, 
I just felt like the message that I was, the passage I was gonna preach just wasn't, I just didn't feel like that's where I needed to go. And so I changed. And I changed to a passage um, that talks about a royal wedding banquet. And then the next day, the queen died. So I don't know if there's a connection there. I don't think I had anything to do with her death, but maybe God knew she was dying and he wanted me to change my message. I don't know how that works, but somewhere in God's sovereignty, I changed my message. So let me just ask you this question. What if you were invited to a royal wedding? What if you were invited to a royal? I know what I would do. I would do anything that I could do to be there. I think it would just be something about, I don't, I mean, I do go to a lot of weddings, but normally I'm the guy up there pronouncing them husband and wife, okay? But it's just something about going to a wedding. There's just, it's just festive. It's just, it's just something about it, seeing the bride, seeing the groom. One of the greatest moments for me as an officiant of weddings is when the groom is standing here and the back doors open or when the bride appears and he looks at her for the first time in her wedding gown. There's just something about that moment that's about as special as anything else that will happen. And, and I just love to see the emotion. It seems like even now, young guys are just getting more emotional about that moment than I've ever seen before. But what if you were invited to a royal wedding? Would you go? Most of us would, because it would just be something to, to see, something to, to take in. And then you would almost feel honored. I mean, if you got a, a, an invitation in the mail from the king, and he wanted you to be there for his son's wedding, you would show up. You would just show up because there would just be something about that. The parable that we're going to look at today, that's the setting. It's the setting of a royal wedding feast. And this is what Jesus says. And again, Jesus spoke to them talking about um, there were some religious leaders, the Pharisees, the elders who had questioned his authority. They didn't think he had the authority that he was kind of imposing. This is like Wednesday of Passion Week. So it's the last week of Jesus's life. And this is this, he's having this interaction. He's overthrown the money changers tables in the temple, speaking with authority. And he gets questioned by the religious leaders. And so Jesus spoke to them in parables. Now, parables, it's kind of a religious word or it is a religious word, a biblical word. When I was growing up, I just automatically knew what a parable meant because I had a great teacher when I was like a teenager. My dad was our Sunday school teacher. And he always said this, that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I've always remembered that. It's, it's, a, it's an earthly story that you and I can relate to for the sake of us understanding something that's heavenly, something that's of God, something that's kingdom-minded. And so Jesus spoke in parables often. And many times the people that should have understood them because they were the religious leaders it would go right over their head. But the common people, the people that Jesus was really trying to speak to, they would understand. So he speaks this parable and he says this, the kingdom of heaven, let me tell you this about a parable. When it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, we always look for parallels. We always look for, okay, if this is an earthly story, he tells us about a kingdom, what's he talking, or he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, so we know that, but he's compared to a king. So in this story, what's the relationship between this king and a heavenly-minded or a heavenly setting for a king. You look for the, the, tr the proper interpretation of the parable. So it's compared to a king. In this parable, this king is God, see, who gave his wedding feast for his son. The son would be Jesus Christ. You're catching on very quickly. And so that's the setting here. So it says this, that he sent his servants, we'll get to that in just a second, to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. 
So when you look at this, Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees and to the elders, the religious crowd, and he's telling this story. And earlier, if you look back in the, the previous chapter, in chapter 21, Jesus is telling other stories, other parables, and it says there, I forget exactly what verse it's in, but it says that the Pharisees and the elders perceived that he was talking about them. To which, as you read this, you go exactly who he was talking about. So he had sent, the, the king had sent his servants. So in this story, he sent his servants who had been the, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. It would have been these early followers of Jesus Christ. It could have even been Jesus to some degree. Had sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. Now, those who had been invited already was the nation of Israel. The Messiah was coming through the nation of Israel. This had been prophesied. This had been promised to Abraham that the world would be blessed through Abraham and his seed. And so this had been promised to the nation of Israel. So he had sent the servants or the messengers or the prophets to invite those guests to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Why wouldn't they come? Because they didn't believe. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. As a matter of fact, they were rejecting him and would ultimately um, demand that he be crucified on the cross. And as I was reading this, and I was thinking about this, this invitation that was specific to the Israelites, but yet how often do we have, see people that receive an invitation to this great wedding feast that we're talking about, but yet they reject it? They reject it. So the first truth I want you to understand is this. Invitations will be rejected. There are some of us in this room or people that are watching online that if you got invited to a royal wedding, you would possibly turn it down because there's just people that would just go, ah, that's not important to me or I don't want to go to that. I've got something that, that I'd rather do or I'd just rather not go there. But then there are other people that would jump at the invitation, but invitations will be rejected. As we see here, people that were specifically invited to this heavenly royal wedding banquet that would have been the celebration of all celebrations and the, the, those who were listening to this parable would have gone, well, that's just idiotic. Why would you not go to that kind of a wedding? That is the most festive thing you could ever attend. And so it just didn't make sense that anybody would reject that. And he goes on, he says this. And again, he sent other servants. This could have been disciples. This could have been a second wave of, of prophets saying, go tell those who are invited, go tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. That's an imperative. And just in case you can't really understand the, the, the gravity of what he's saying here, if you've ever had a mother that went to a lot of trouble to fix a meal for you and she invited you to that meal and you turned her down because you had something that was more important, now, she would probably never really want to do the guilt trip to you, but she might go, do you know what kind of trouble I've gone to make this meal? Do you know that I have slaved in this kitchen for hours? I have worked, I have paid for this food. You better show up to my meal. That would be the way your mom might do it, or my mom would 
Miss Libby would do it. Um, they would say, you better show up. You know what kind of trouble. So this is a king going, hey, I just want you to know, go out and tell them, go give them one more chance and tell them, I've gone to great lengths to prepare for this wedding feast that you've been invited to. You better show up or else. That's kind of what the tone is. This is kind of what's going on. But you know what they did? They paid no attention and they went off, one to his farm and another to his business. They responded with apathy. They were like, big deal. We don't care whatever trouble you've gone through. We don't care to what great lengths you went to prepare that kind of meal. We don't care about the, your celebration with your son. We've got more important things to do out on the farm. We've got more important things to do in our businesses. And so they repl replied with just an apathetic attitude toward the invitation. And in our world today, this is a reaction that we get. We, we have people today that are so preoccupied with their lives that they don't respond properly to the invitation that God has given them. They've got other things that are more important or they'll say, you know, there's gonna be plenty of time for me to just kind of live my life the way I wanna live my life. And at the end, that's when I'll receive Christ. That's when I'll enter into that relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's when I'll get saved, kind of when I get through this phase of my life. And they have this apathetic feeling toward it. We have this apathetic uh, response to the things of God. When it comes to, to being involved in the church and when it comes to doing the work of the mission of the church, we just get apathetic. I get that way and you get that way. We just, it's just kind of the nature of life. And so this parable, Jesus is saying, these people paid no attention. And this would have not been the norm for the culture. I mean, it, they were these, these Pharisees and elders, they were probably going, how in the world could somebody be apathetic toward an invitation to a royal wedding feast? There's no way you could do that. He says, but that's not the only reaction. There was another reaction too. The next one's, the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. So there were some who were apathetic, but there was another group that was very aggressive. They were aggressive. And so you think about the number of prophets that were seized and killed because of the message that they are delivering to the nation of Israel. They were seized and they were killed because of that message. These early disciples that came and, and, and shared the gospel, shared the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all but two of them were killed for that message. They were martyred because of the message that they were carrying. Even today, pastors and missionaries around the globe are seized and killed because of the message of the gospel that they are proclaiming. In America, we deal more with apathy than we do aggression, although there's some aggression now toward it. Uh, but, but we deal with a lot of apathy, but there is these two responses. There's apathy and there's aggression. Usually the apathy is the secularized world that just has more important things to do than deal with religious stuff. Even Christians get guilty of this. We get guilty of apathy toward religious things and toward the things of God because we're just too enamored with our world, our farms and our businesses and our vacations and all of those things. We get just too wrapped up in those things so we don't get involved in church. We don't get involved in a small group. We don't serve on a team. We don't get involved in what God's mission in the world is because we're just apathetic toward it because we're secularized. It doesn't offer enough for me, so I'm gonna go do the things that I like to do or I get the most fulfillment out of, and it's not of God. And then there's the aggression side. of Usually the religious crowd is the aggressive side. Everybody wants to act all peaceful. Everybody get along until you bring the message of Jesus Christ to them. 
And then the aggression shows up. And then the aggressive starts coming out. And so you see these two responses there. So you know what the king did? The king got angry. He got angry. The king was angry, and he sent his troops to destroy those murderers, and he burned their city. So most theologians believe that this is Jesus' way of saying, hey, you keep rejecting the gospel. You keep rejecting me as the Messiah. What's going to happen is God is going to send his judgment on Jerusalem. And you know what happened in AD 70? The city of Jerusalem was destroyed. God sent his troops in, and they destroyed the city, and they burned the city. And so they, they had this, this rejection of the Messiah. They rejected Jesus, and God, therefore, punished them. So the next point, those who reject God's invitation will be punished. And this is the weight of this parable that Jesus is, that Jesus is telling them. That if you reject the message of the gospel, punishment awaits you. And the Israelites were the first ones to reject that message wholeheartedly. They were just, Jesus is not the Messiah. And to this day, those in the Jewish faith do not believe that Jesus was and is the Messiah. And so those who reject that message will be punished. And he goes on. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. The reason they weren't worthy is because they didn't say yes to the invitation. So they were not worthy. And those who were invited, they really weren't worthy within themselves. The only thing that made them somewhat worthy or any worthy at all was because they were invited by the king. The king said, you are going to be able to be a part of this wedding celebration because I'm going to make you worthy. No one's worthy of salvation until God makes you worthy by clothing us, as we'll look at in a minute, clothing us in righteousness of Jesus Christ. But the only thing they needed to do was respond with the yes to the invitation. Go therefore, he says, since they rejected it, go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. He says, I've prepared all of this meal. I've made this great wedding celebration feast and I want everybody who's gonna be here to enjoy it. Go find them. And I want you to go to the busiest places you can find. I want you to go to where the people are and invite them to come in to this great wedding feast because all of my work will not be in vain. And so God, in turn, has extended his invitation to all people. You and I were invited into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ because of this parable. This parable tells the story of that. The Israelites rejected it. God says, now go into all the world. <laughs> go into all the world and preach the gospel. Man, I'm getting excited. I'm sorry. <laughs> see if I can see how to get these batteries back in. Um, but he's saying that you and I, we had this great commission. And so he's extended this invitation to all the world for everybody who would say yes to it. And the Israelites had rejected it. So he said to his servants, he says, go now and find anybody and everybody that you can possibly find. And he goes on and he says this, and those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, anybody they found, both the bad and the good, both the bad and the good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. You know, God has commissioned you and me to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them, teaching them bringing them into this royal 
feast, into this royal banquet that God has prepared. And he said, I don't want you to go out there and be picky about who you invite. You invite anybody and everybody. And when you get to heaven, when I get to heaven, we're probably going to look around and go, wow, I'd have never guessed they'd have made it. I'd have never guessed he could have been there. I know how he voted. I know some of the things that he did on the weekends. I know some of the things that she thought about and she told everybody about. Wow, I just can't believe they made it. And we're gonna have, in this great banquet hall, there's gonna be people that we looked at as bad and people that we looked at as good, and we're all gonna be together. And when we go out, and the only reason it's gonna make us good, that we're all gonna be good, is because of what Jesus did in our lives. And so when we go out and we have this great commission, we have got to go out into all the world and tell people about Jesus and invite them into that relationship with him. But when the king came in and he looked at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. Let me explain a little bit of the culture here. Weddings, royal weddings were such a big deal that you just didn't show up in anything and everything you wanted to wear, okay? Today, weddings, when people show up to a wedding, they're, they're a lot more dressed down and casual than they used to be. Used to, you showed up in a suit and tie and all that kind of stuff. Now people show up in jeans and t-shirts and tennis shoes and what have you, but not at a royal wedding. At a royal wedding, in order to make sure that everybody was properly clothed, oftentimes the king would have pre-prepared garments for the wedding guests to put on so that no one was underdressed for the wedding, so that no one was underdressed for this level of celebration. So in this parable, the king looks around, God looks around and he sees that there's one guy who doesn't have on the proper wedding garment. He's not clothed the way that he should be clothed. We can look at it this way. He was clothed in something that he thought was good enough. Maybe it was something that he had prepared himself. It was the works of his hands. Maybe it was something that his mom had made for him. Maybe something his grandmother had made for them. Maybe something he had spent a lot of money on, but it still wasn't good enough because it wasn't the proper clothing. And when we look in Isaiah, Isaiah talks about your garments and my garments or our righteousness, so to speak, is like what? It's like filthy rags. It'd be like you and I showing up in a wedding and going, God, I think I'm good enough to be in this wedding banquet or at this wedding banquet because look at all the good works that I've done. Look at all the great deeds that I've done. And God looks at your wedding garment and he says, nah, it's filthy rags. It looks like you just walked off the farm. It just looks like you just got out from mowing the grass and, and weed eating in the yard. No, you're right. your best garment is like filthy rags to God. So Paul comes along in Ephesians and he says that you and I must be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that when you show up to the wedding festival, the wedding feast, and you walk in, it's not on your own doing. It's on the garment that God has put on you. And it's the righteousness of Christ that God the Father sees. And you're not like this guy who shows up in improper attire who gets, in just a moment we'll see, God said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? How did you get in here without being properly clothed? And the guy was speechless. The guy had no answer to him. And when you and I get to heaven, 
and we are not properly clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you and I will be speechless. We will be without excuse because the message of the gospel has been made clear to us. That the only way for you to get to heaven and the only way I'll ever make it to heaven is to put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone and nothing else matters that I've ever done or that I will ever do. It won't matter how many sermons I've ever preached. It won't matter how long I stayed married. It won't matter how good my kids were. It won't matter how much I tithe. It won't matter how much I gave to missions. It won't matter how many mission trips I went on. It's only whether or not I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior that God will say, that's the proper wedding garment. It's not anything else that you've ever done or ever will be able to do that will get us in there. And we will be without excuse. No one will be accepted into God's kingdom who has not accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. You're not gonna get in based upon your merits. It's not gonna get in based upon what your family history is. You're not gonna get in based upon your church attendance. Nothing else will matter except for your relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing else. Then the king said to the attendants, this is a very sad verse, bind him hand and foot, cast him into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are gonna be people who think they're worthy of getting into heaven. And this is going to be their fate. They're gonna be bound hand and feet and cast into outer darkness, eternally separated from God forever and ever and ever. And some of us in this room, someone watching online might be in that camp because you've been trusting other things to get you in. He says, for many are called, few are chosen. There are many people who will be called, but there will be few who will be obedient and respond obediently to that call and become a part of God's chosen people. Those who will be at the eternal wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb that you and I as followers of Jesus will be a part of. But listen, all people are invited to respond to God's invitation. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what your present is. God is calling you to respond to this invitation. And your response can only be yes or no. Yes is to saying, I will, I will make Jesus Christ my Lord. I invite him to come into my life and to save me. To say no is saying, I'm either gonna trust my own good works or I just don't want any part of that. Those are the only two responses we can have. But as followers of Jesus, we are commissioned to invite others to respond to God's invitation. So there's two parts of this parable going on. There's a rejection that he's talking about the Israelites and, and others who will reject that invitation. But at the same time, there's the sending this us out into the busy places, into the highways and making the message of the gospel the most important message that we have. We've made other things more important. We make other things so much more, we want people to listen to us, but it's about things that don't matter eternally. And what God is saying through this parable, what Jesus was saying through this parable, there is eternity at stake. And you and I have a message as the church as a church, we have got a message to take into the world that needs hope, that needs the answer, that needs the answer to a, to a life of sin and separation from God. 
So let me ask you this. Have you responded to God's invitation to you? Have you responded with a yes in the affirmative? Man, if we, we, we would love for you to say yes today. And you can do that by just coming down to the altar as we sing this next song called The Altar. Or if you'd rather meet us back in the VIP room, come back there. Either way, we've got a box called a New Believers Box we'd love to give you. It's got a Bible in it. It's got a cool coffee mug. It's got a pen. It's got a journal. It's got a, a Bible reading plan. It's got some next steps for you. And we would love to talk to you about beginning this new journey with Christ so that you can receive the invitation and say yes to the invitation to this royal wedding that God is preparing. The next question is, have you invited others to respond to God's invitation? And if you haven't, why not? Why not? Why haven't you invited somebody else? If we believe that eternity is at stake, I was talking to Phil back there earlier. It's like, he was saying that, you know, he preached a message one time that said that we ought to live our day as though it's our last day. And, and I responded, I was thinking, why don't we preach this message like it's the other person's possible last day? I mean, if you knew somebody was gonna die tomorrow, you would be at their bedside. You would be in their presence, making sure they had this nailed down. And why don't we live that way? And I'm saying we, and I'm included in that. Why don't we live in such a way that we invite others to respond to this invitation that God desperately wants people to respond to? And then finally, who can you invite to respond to God's invitation? Right now, just take a minute, put their name in your phone, write their name down somewhere, put it in your mind, pray over that name over the next few moments and over the next week, and just pray that God will give you an opportunity to invite them in to this relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can always invite them to church and they're gonna hear the gospel right here. About every week, they're gonna hear the presentation of the gospel. But are you doing your part to build the kingdom? to fill up the wedding hall. Let's all stand together. Father, we are so thankful that you opened up this invitation to all. That God, you sent your servants out, those early disciples, those first believers, those first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And they went out with a fervent message, inviting others to come into a relationship with you through what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross taking our sins and paying the penalty for our sins on the cross so that we can be forgiven for what we've done wrong. So God, today, it's my prayer that if there is somebody here today, God, I plead with you to make the call for them irresistible this morning. God, for those of us who are followers of you, God, I pray today that you would heighten our desire and our burden and our passion for the gospel like we've never had before, for a lost and dying world that desperately needs you. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.